building better relationships at home and at work for people who have more than enough on their plate. Two coaches dangling the possibility of finding joy in your relationships. Do you dare to consider life can be better? Have a listen and tell us why. In this podcast episode, Angela and Patty get real and have a conversation about communicating in conflict. When we came up with this topic, we were exploring how to be okay, say no to someone and having a potential fallout with them. People pleasers struggle with saying no because they're scared that that could lead to the person not liking them or worse, getting upset with them. Patty, can you give an example for the people pleasers of how to be okay saying no? I think you're really comfortable with it and I'd love to hear how it feels like when you say no and what goes through your head when you're saying no with the possibility that the other person may not like your no. Well, Angela, saying no is good for you emotionally and keeps you authentic to yourself, especially when you don't want to do it. That may sound corny, but it's true. If someone gets angry or loses your friendship over it, maybe it wasn't a friendship in the first place. Having boundaries in relationships keeps both parties honest and knowing what is acceptable and what isn't. What goes through my head? I still second guess myself, but I think about it. What if I had said yes? Would I be miserable? Why does this person want me to do it? Is it for them or me or both? Is it right for me or not? If a fallout occurs, I consider why did this happen? Was it saying no or much more to the story oh. how do you get comfortable with this it takes time and experience to be okay with the outcome and trust it it still hurts and it is hard to lose someone you thought was your friend over a boundary or disagreement or misunderstanding that is where communication is so important Nowadays, people are so quick to avoid or ghost others instead of talking to each other. They wash their hands of people and walk away. It is easier to bail than to communicate. I hope not. It is better to discuss things, whether pleasant or not, for relationships to last. I wrote a blog post called damaged relationships are they salvageable <laughs> it is about fallout relationships and how unforgiveness causes physical and emotional harm i'll put the blog post link in the show notes yeah so why not be different to others instead of ghosting you could actually talk with people and that would make you appear really cool and create courageous um, when I grew up in the 90s we did ghosting but we thought it was cool especially in Australia like Australia like if you ignored someone um, you had the attitude like you know I don't need people I don't care I don't need you I personally feel Angela ghosting is cruel 
Yes, ghosting is not cool, it's cruel. What we don't acknowledge today is that finally people have named ghosting and called out the behaviour as unattractive and as what it is, it's avoidance. And they've also described how harmful it is. So why not be different and radical? Why not just talk and see what may come up from opening up to potential conflict? Just try it. It's much more attractive than criticising other people for ghosting. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, we all avoid conflict from a fear of not being able to express what we need or fear of what others think if we ask for what we need. Or we avoid conflict because we're hiding something from ourselves that we don't want to face or we just can't see about ourselves. So wondering why or what did I do playing that record in your head can really hurt people's thoughts and emotions to the point of harming self-confidence. It is the same in the workplace. Ghosting can hurt people, their work performance, and definitely mess with people's heads. The wondering why that we're assuming or gossiping comes into play. In the workplace, communication is extremely crucial to to have as a skill. The ability to communicate and train employees to assist customers when the boss is away is vital. Employees need to feel confident to answer the customer's questions and not rely on a manager. A supervisor is not helping their employees or customers by hoarding all the information. Being a good leader is preparing employees to tackle all challenges that arise and provide excellent customer service so the business runs smoothly no matter what. Also in our episode 21, Lack of Communication and Overworked, Angela and I talk about communicating at work or when working from home, when overwhelmed with the workload. We'll have the link in the show notes. But one of the things that we talk about is communicating when you have way too much work to do to your boss or to your coworkers or explain to a customer about why you can't get it to them on the time on their timeline. (laughs) What you're describing to me, Patty, reminds me of how a parent prepares their young to be in the world and deal with unknown situations or new unpredictable situations and also strangers, people that we don't know. And It also is about, for parents, how to prepare their kids to look after each other or even just to exist with each other when the parents are not around. (laughs) When we grew up, um, sibling relationships are really important when you grow up in helping you to learn how to deal with conflict and disagreements and without resulting in serious conflict. When we were young, our parents are often the arbiters of conflict or different points of view. And for me, in my growing up, it was hard because I was the youngest. And if mum wasn't there, I was at the mercy (laughs) of my older siblings and their beliefs. And I had the belief as the youngest that my siblings knew better. So eventually, 40 years later, (laughs) 
I worked out that my siblings don't know better than me. And I finally realized that they just knew something different to me. And that's changed the way I relate to conflict, but also to my siblings. And I bet a lot of us have stories about siblings who would resort to all sorts of torture instead of communicating in conflict. So it's not unusual that we might resort to bickering or bad behavior. So one thing to reflect upon when it comes to conflict is how you communicated uh, in your experience with your siblings when you grew up. If you were the youngest like me, you may have developed habits of avoiding conflict because an older sibling was the boss. And some of us were single children like you, Patty. Yeah. So you may not learn how to communicate in conflict with your siblings. Patty, where did you first learn about communicating in conflict with others? Was it the workplace? Angela, I'm still learning every day. My mom and dad put me in preschool when I was three years old. I wish I could say this helped. My mom tells stories of me being the typical only child. Honestly, I have always been shy and didn't communicate well until I worked in customer service. You have to learn how to talk to people to do your job. Being a parent and a wife, you have to speak. And a lot of times I didn't do it well. It was trial and error and continuing to learn each day. And it was hard for me to understand. I had, I have two children. It was hard for me to understand how they communicated or why they didn't get along and everything because I was an only child. You and know, I wanted and I wanted them to love each other and <laughs> get along all the, all the time because I didn't have a sibling. That's fascinating. It's making me think now of some other only child children I know today who are still young and how they learn to communicate with adults. Their first communication skills are, are more with adults. So they're mm -hmm. already learning how to negotiate with someone who's more powerful and how to take right. the subservient role as a child. Interesting. Right. I mean, I did have neighborhood friends. Our yeah. house was, you know, people would come over to our house and I did have friends and I had um, neighborhood children that were like my brothers so that was a good relationship to be able to, I was older than them but so that kind of helped a little bit too and then I and then I had cousins as well yeah yeah we learned a lot about um well this may seem strange to people who don't know about life before the internet but we grew up with one television and when we got the second television, that solved a lot of conflict. <laughs> so I think, you know, if you want to practice with your kids, go to one electronic device and see what happens, how they can learn. So, you know, whatever conflict you had growing up with siblings or others in your neighbourhood or school, you will have developed strategies that are directly connected to our ancestral brain, our our the primal parts of our brain based on the fight or flight system in the autonomic nervous system. And that has three responses known as fight, which is aggression, flight, 
which is avoidance, or freeze, which they call playing possum, where you just sort of don't do anything. And so that's what we learn when we're doing um, any of our childhood games, where you bully people, where there's aggression or competition that could lead to conflict, and also teasing as well, where you learn things like that as a child. So when, when you grow up, that's when we start learning about how to deal with conflict through fighting or f avoiding or freezing. And that means you would just respond in three ways. First, if you did a fight response, you would have fought back if someone yelled at you or hit you, and you would have created some sort of belief or story about conflict from that response. The second response was you let yourself be told what to do. You submitted and that's the flight response or you ran away. And then you also created some story, belief or judgment about that. So the third response, which I'm very familiar with, was you just went numb to avoid feeling anything. <laughs> That's the, the freeze response. You can act like you're invisible and you try to uh, efface your presence. But inside, there's another story that you created about conflict and your role in it. And also, you probably created stories about others that you were in relationship with it. So we've heard all uh, stories about abuse. People who experience abuse, they often do this freeze syndrome and they create stories about the other person who's abusing them to somehow keep justified that abuse. So I've, I have a friend who literally got bopped, hit on the head by their sibling just because their sibling thought that was funny to do the, to their little brother. <laughs> and as a result, my friend is very feisty when it comes to conflict in their adult life. And he gets angry really quick, just like a fire rod, all lit up quickly. And then he seethes and then he mopes. And so he has to settle himself after that first flush of anger. That's our nervous system response. Gets immediate anger and then he has to soothe himself. But in the soothing, he gets into depression as well. So I can just see him, how he was as a kid. He was angry because his big brother whacked him and he couldn't fight back because his brother was bigger than him. So he would just seethe with anger. And then I can see now how the anger as an adult gets him all wired up because their brother was always quick to get physical before he had time to do anything as a child. So adult conflict or any conflict in our lives can trigger so many of our unrecognized experience of conflict when we were kids. And if you want to know how this plays out in marriage and love relationships, I refer to the work of John Gottman, Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. He's done thousands of research on marriage couples. He's researched thousands of couples. And he's found we have three conflict styles, which he calls the volatile, the avoider, or the, and um, the validator. And those three are directly connected to how we manage and balance our fight or flight response system. In John Gottman's work, you can see how we learn to communicate in ways 
that are basically trying to soothe our autonomous nervous system. If you get all riled up when you're angry, one way to release that anger is to yell, and that's the volatile style. But for someone else, yelling can be a threat and very, very scary. And their autonomic nervous system needs to run away and also avoid verbal conflict or verbal communication at all costs. That's the avoider. <laughs> and other people may have had parents who modelled talking and communicating in a placating way when there was anger to find a solution. And that's the validator style of communication that John Gottman researched. However, not every child will model that validating behaviour if they have felt threatened when conflict arises in other situations at school or at home. So even if you've got parents that model that behaviour, that may not be your natural go-to response if you had a bad experience at school or at home. So some marriages and love relationships in John Gottman's work, he finds that they break up because the way each partner deals with conflict can be too different and they haven't found the way to bridge that difference. Or both people don't have any way of finding marrying their, com their communication style. They don't know how to build that bridge. So his work is about building that and, and that's where Patty and I help as well. And if one partner is too invest invested in avoiding communication, that will also lead to a breakup because they're just so fixed, they're not going to change their avoiding style. And also if the other, if one partner is too invested in yelling, the volatile style, and they can't modify their behaviour, that's where the relationships break up. So Patty, I imagine at work, people may not explode as they may in a personal relationship. So how, how do you handle volatile communication or anger or feelings of aggression? I can imagine at work, a lot of people avoid conflict because it's less stress, which you address in a lot of your blog posts and, and some of our podcasts as well. Angela, you would be surprised how much backstabbing, passive-aggressive behavior, sarcasm, one-upping each other, bickering, and tattletelling happens in the workplace. Working relationships do have fallouts that are not pretty. Avoidance makes more stress within the workplace because the things, the little things start out slowly and start adding up to big things when not addressed. That's when all hell breaks loose in the workplace and people explode or get burned out, start oh. overthinking, become anxious, low morale in the workplace or no motivation at all, or even worse, quit and walk out without any notice at all. You know, they just get mad and they walk out and don't look back. I did a blog post called How to Respond to Unprofessional People. I'll have that in the show notes as well. How do you respond to unprofessional people 
I would journal about what happened, reflect about how they may respond back to you once you do uh, want to talk about it. Create a plan of action on how to communicate calmly and to respond back sensibly. A lot of times when people are in that angry mode, you need to step back. Both people need to step back and say, you know what, let's get back together, say in a couple hours when we both have calmed down. Because once you're, once you're in that anger mode, you will say and do things that you can't take back. So it's better to just say, hey, let's just take a break from each other or a break from this communication and let's come back and regroup in a couple hours after we've had time to think about it mm. and come up with a plan on how we can get past this. But a lot of times that doesn't happen and then that's when the fallout occurs. Yeah, it's difficult in the work environment because of the face that you have to keep about being professional. I think our intimate personal relationships are a lot more forgiving, but that means in personal relationships we can be quite nasty. Well, and um, like I said, with um, it starts with the little things and then we can trigger each other because you are with that coworker, eight to 10 hours a day. Mm. You're with them more than you are with your family. And everybody knows how to push everybody's triggers and they do it. So when you're not communicating in a respectful way, that's when it builds up and people explode because People are avoiding discussing things or people are being rude and mean and sarcastic to each other and just like the playground. Yeah. When you said pushing the buttons, it reminded me of my siblings. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't resist it. It's like, oh, that upsets you. I have to push it. <laughs> <laughs> And I can imagine with a top-down flow of authority in the workplace, conflict can also be openly aggressive in the decisions that are made um, from the top down. So when you're in a lower position, you have no control over that because the authority in the workplace means they have full permission to be quite aggressive. Can you give an example of working with someone where you had to help them address conflict where they didn't have a voice or power because they were in a lesser position of the power chain. I know as a supervisor, you gave your workers lots of places to communicate, uh, but how did you help people in other positions who felt they didn't have uh, authority to speak when they we're in conflict with the chain of command. Yeah, and this is a common occurrence because when employees feel like they're not being heard or they don't have a voice, it can it can really lower the morale in the workplace. I remember and um, saw how scared some employees are to talk to their superiors, honestly. It makes me sad. 
it made me wonder what type of experience they had in their past or presence that caused them not to be able to communicate how they felt. I would rather have someone straight up honest with me than to have lip service and agreeing with me on everything I said. Coaching management to be open to feedback from employees is good for the work environment. As a leader, you know what your employees are experiencing and and review it if something needs to be fixed or changed. When you're not open, it, it's going to be the same thing. And then as time goes on, those little things become big things. It also allows the employee to share concerns and feel heard. As a manager, you need to discern if this is something that needs further action. Maybe talking to the whole team about the situation and getting their opinion as a collective as well. So helping the others is just sitting down and kind of going over what needs to be said and coming up with a game plan on how to do it. And being able to approach somebody that might be somebody that's aggressive or yells or doesn't want to be bothered. <laughs> also, I did a blog post series called Bad Leadership Styles. The series is how to identify different styles of leadership with suggestions and guidance to address those negative behaviors. I will provide those in the show links as well. Great. Yeah, that's really good. I like the idea of the game plan because it's envisioning a different way of moving forward. Um, if we look at personal relationships, if you're um, from John Gottman's work, I, I extracted a lot of information. And if we're going to build a new relationship, a new way of communicating, you have to understand um, how that person communicates and then have a plan on how to be different <laughs> or how to adjust your behavior. So I wanted to share some uh, tips on how to keep relationships when you're having these different communication styles, especially when it comes to conflict. So first, first things first, work on your feelings first. Are you angry and just denying it? What are you feeling? And if it's just about being right, because you think you're right and the other person's wrong, why do you need to be right? Being right, thinking you are right, is always, always based on a belief that you should be better than someone. Why do you have to be better than someone? And in my work, I've called this choose the relationship. If you're in a relationship and you're thinking, I'm right, they're wrong, that's not going to keep the relationship. Choose the relationship. What, what's the game plan, like Patty was sharing, how we're going to move forward. So, you know, in a relationship, you are going to have a love relationship with people who are going to have beliefs that are completely different to yours. Some people have beliefs that are crazy and <laughs> completely outlandish to you. Believe me, I know how this feels. I grew up with people who thought I was crazy <laughs> and they thought I was wrong 
and they told me I was wrong for the way I was behaved in Australia. I had a Sicilian mother who thought I should never leave the house and thought that I catching a bus across town to go to theatre workshops was crazy. And she told me that <laughs> with lots of yelling. But what if I saw the world through her eyes for a minute? And that's what I did because I had to grow up with a mum that yelled at me, but she still let me do it. So she was very accommodating, but she yelled a lot. So I many times spent over the years in healing sessions, in theatre workshops, in writing exercises, stepping into my mother's shoes. And what happened was extraordinary. I felt her fear as a mother sending, letting her child go out into the world. And I lost all need to make her wrong. And instead, I felt how she was feeling and how similar I was to her. It's very different when you're trying to empathize with someone you don't know. So I've given an example about my mum and you may be more committed to your personal relationships to work with someone you're close to. But it's very different, say, for a stranger or an anonymous person in the YouTube comments. So keep in mind, if someone gets you riled up in the YouTube comments or social media, how if you respond back negatively, you are repeating a cycle of volatile energy, like John Gottman's volatile communication style. And this energy will come back to you. If you send out negative energy, it comes back to you. So you can try this. Think about everything you type in social media as a thought experiment to manifest kindness and stop the cycle of negativity. Or if you're not feeling kind, and you don't want to send out love, you're not feeling all softy, gooey and mushy on the internet, just stop the cycle of negativity. Just think about that. Because that alone can bring much better uh, feelings and emotions into your life. When you see words on a screen, you have no idea what is going on for that person. Or if indeed it is a person, and this is going to keep increasing in the future when we won't know if a comment on social media is a robot or a human or a troll spreading negative feedback. So this is just like when I didn't get my mum until I stood in her shoes. I was criticising and whining about how backward my mum was. And I was just reinforcing her sense that she was not as evolved as me. And I reinforced her fear that something bad could happen to me. And I was projecting that she was less than me. When you're online, because you don't know the person, responding negatively, negatively back to them is creating more negative hurt that ripples out into the world and repeats the negative cycle of your own autonomous flight and flight nerves system. And the carelessness you can just write a negative comment with is also a problem. If you don't care deeply about the words you put out in the world, that lack of care will come back to you. Words have meaning and they can hurt or empower. And coming from a Sicilian family, 
I know this very well because Sicilians say a lot of hurtful words and they've experienced direct consequences of them. So when you're online dealing with negative comments, you can just bypass your autonomous fight or flight system by just breathing. Breathe, don't type, think, reflect. Why is this comment getting me so upset? Don't reply to the comment, think, stop the negative cycle. I've seen a positive spiral of YouTube comments that has lifted people's spirits and made their day and changed their perception of humanity. People are reading negative comments online and thinking more negative thoughts about humanity. So instead, how can you stop that cycle or even create a positive spiral of positive energy to lift people up who you don't know? So that's a long, long tip about feel what you're feeling because <laughs> unfortunately we have developed habits online now of projecting and vomiting on social media but you've got to feel what you feel so my second tip is to learn your communication style are you a volatile imagine how your volatile communication impacts your partner your child or your loved one do you see their body language when you get volatile what do you feel they are feeling when you are this way if you want to connect to another person, what do you want for the relationship? Meaning, try to focus on what you want for the relationship, not yourself. You may get what you want if you focus on the relationship instead of just focusing on what you want and what you think is right. What you think is right may be great for you, but it could be horrible for everyone else, or it might just not be the best solution. If you're angry, then find a way to get that anger out without hurting others. You can write, you can get a coach, you can find a place to express the anger and take responsibility for it. So you can move out of the anger safely and stop projecting it on those close to you. So are you an avoider? I'm an avoider, so I know about this. How does staying silent help you? What do you need to feel safe in communicating with those close to you. I was an avoider with volatile explosions. So now I tell my partner when I'm getting anxiety and he knows to leave me alone or he gives me what I need to reduce the anxiety and then I don't explode. But if I don't tell him when I'm getting the anxiety, how is he supposed to help me? Avoiders think that because they don't explode, they're a hero and that a volatile communicator is a crazy person. But avoiders create conflict by not addressing what needs to be said and then also make the ones who speak up responsible for the problems in the relationship. <laughs> so by avoiding communication, you're also avoiding responsibility for creating a solution to the problems. And sometimes a volatile person actually has a good point or a perspective which an avoider can dismiss as useless because the volatile communicator was yelling. So an avoider, you need to learn when you shut down and shut out people and stop feeling you are the one with the feelings and everybody else doesn't feel. We all have feelings. What are you avoiding or afraid of? 
And then with those close to you, try communicating your fears and brainstorm with them how they can help you with when you have fear and anxiety or shut down reaction. You may just need to go to another room and be alone. One interesting thing that happens now when I'm in, in anxiety and I say it, my partner quickly says, okay, what do you need? And then immediately I tell him what I need. So we've found really expedient communication through me just owning how I get anxiety and verbalizing it and him helping me define what I need. I get exactly what I need and he feels he's helping me and my hero, which he is. So it gives us a sense of um, real sense of connection. So third and finally, are you a validator? Keep in mind talking a lot, which validators do, they talk and they communicate and they troubleshoot and they brainstorm and that can really piss off an avoider. <laughs> and it can get a volatile more into their emotion. Like if you're volatile and crazy and a, val and a validator comes along and tries to solve and talk, the volatile can just go nuts. So a volatile communicator can, may just want to get to the point. So if you're a validator, you can learn how to communicate with less words, simple language, and that will help all three styles of communication communicators. And if you're in a relationship with two validators, that can be great, but it can also go around in circles and avoid some of the emotions underneath. So as a validator, keep in mind, you're not better than others just because you have a soothing way of communicating that makes you feel good. You know, that validating way of communication can soothe the autonomic fight and flight response. But validators can often feel like they're on a high horse and they communicate better. Maybe you do communicate better. Maybe that is your strength. But your style may not be meeting the fight and flight response that everyone has developed in childhood and it can avoid some of those deeper, darker emotions. So be sensitive to the body language and the nervous system response of others. Sometimes not talking allows an avoider to feel comfortable or just giving them space. Sometimes a volatile communicator will need you to walk away and just come up with very few words to share what you want with passion. <laughs> Volatiles love passion. And validators are great at thinking thoughtfully. So how can your words inspire, help your loved ones? Finding words that empower could make that person feel special. And sometimes it's a hug. It's the way you look at them, your body language that will feel so powerful to turn your loved one into that mush and let them know energetically from your heart how you feel. Eye contact can be the most potent way to dissolve conflict, but keep in mind that sometimes that's too much for people. And holding, touch, eye contact, they're three body behaviors to try with your loved one when there's conflict. But keep in mind, everybody's so unique and not everyone loves eye contact or touch, or they may need very, very specific touch to soothe them. People are very touch nuanced, especially these days. So conflict many times 
is a is a way it's a pathway to find the best way to soothe your autonomic nervous system and now intimate relationships are where we can learn to ask for the touch kind words or the love we didn't receive growing up it takes courage and desire to fulfill the needs of your loved one to create an environment where conflict is safe and also a part of learning how to be there for your partner. If you want to keep your relationship, envision how you can come back from conflict and share what is safe for you, what you need to feel safe in the relationship and find simple words to communicate that to your loved one without making them wrong. We often don't know what our loved ones need until the conflict arises. And then we learn what we can do to help them. That was beautifully said and so true, Angela. And if you are listening to this in the holidays and you want to focus on having better relationships, then take this time to envision or pray or imagine the types of affection or connection you would love in your relationships. I've been doing more prayer than normal (laughs) these days. And I discovered in the prayer, what I'm actually doing is calling in that connection and love or ease grace that I'm desiring and feeling that in my autonomic nervous system. And you can envision that, that you would love to share with those that you love. If you have a topic or a question for us, please leave us a message on the Anchor app. Did you enjoy our podcast? Please subscribe and leave a review. How about becoming a monthly supporter? Click on the support button in the Anchor app. By supporting this podcast with donations, it helps us continue to produce more future episodes. And we want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message and please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback.